0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of Hope Nevada, where we want to shine light on those who are bringing hope to our community. Today, I have the honor of being with Sharon Chamberlain. Sharon is the CEO at Northern Nevada Hopes. Northern Nevada Hopes is a nonprofit community health center located here in downtown Reno who provides integrated medical and wellness services with a focus on lowering barriers to care for underserved communities. Their services include adult and pediatric primary care, chronic disease management, behavioral health counseling, substance use counseling, case management, nutrition, pharmacy, transportation, and community outreach and education. Hopes welcoming an innovative one-stop shop health care model improves access to care for thousands of individuals and families in northern nevada so all that said i'm going to turn it over to sharon and sharon i would love if you would introduce yourself and introduce us to hopes
1: hi thank you i'm so grateful to be here today uh, and on the show so thanks for having me oh we're we're blessed to do it thank you um Yes, so uh, I say all the time that I'm the luckiest CEO in the world. And I mean that. And every day that I come here, it's a little bit different. And it's always exciting. And we're always developing and uh, growing and thinking of new ideas and plans. So that keeps everybody on their toes. And um, I've been here at Hope's for about eight years. Mm And um, one of the things that, when we ha- go through kind of our laundry list of uh, services that we offer, one of the things that um, we don't we don't have listed there is that you know underneath and behind all of those pieces is you know our core mission, which is really wanting to create a sense of community, mm-hmm. and that means um, being very integrated into the community where we are located, but also ensuring that anybody that walks through these doors feels a sense of community. So many the individuals that walk through these doors don't have any other mm-hmm. um, connection out um, outside of these doors to individuals that are friends or families. Um, they're, they're siloed and they're alone. And so coming here and being mm-hmm. able to have that sense of community while they're receiving all these services to, for their health in a very holistic fashion,
0: um, that's when we see real change happen. Wow. So it sounds like it, it's kind of like you're trying to see them not just as a patient, but this is a person that's so that's so
1: true that's mm-hmm. hitting the nail on the head right there um, mm-hmm. absolutely uh, we recognize that health is so much more than what your um, you know what your a1c is mm-hmm. or you know what your um, if you have hypertension or any of those things it's it's so much more holistic it includes um, what your support system is it includes um, you know your your spiritual life your mm-hmm. um, your connectedness um, your social your social um, value in the community or sense of value in the community. It makes a big, big difference. Um, And we see when people start to feel that connection, that's when we start to see the health issues Mm -hmm. starting to be addressed because people can focus now um, on lowering their um, their a1c for example they can focus on that because um, they feel value and um, feel valued and feel connected and a part of and some of those other pieces homelessness or um, you know food scarcity Mm -hmm. or any of those other uh, pieces that impact individuals uh, health once those things start to be addressed we see
0: everything else come into line oh wow that is that is so interesting to not to see that, whether it's isolation or loneliness that you mentioned, that that is not, that's not a separate issue from the health of a person. That's not, well, let's address health and then we'll get to this. That's yeah. no, we have to see this. We have to see the whole person here. Yeah. We have to see all that's going on. And I would love for you to talk about how how you do that. if If the what is okay, we, we aim to see people as not a patient but a person. We want to address the the whole person. What are ways that Hopes does that? How are yeah. you... Whether that's through training your staff or just kind of your mindset coming in as CEO, how do you how do you take that vision and put it on the ground?
1: Yeah, you know it is. It's a lot of staff training um, and, and and helping people understand that you know because we're a healthcare facility, um, you know we take we we get a lot of staff from other healthcare facilities. We're a small town, so people move from place to place, right, um, in their work lives, and um, to show them that this is a very unique piece that um, every single one of our mottos is very simple it's just be kind Hmm. and so for any individual that walks in through this door it's you know stop and just be kind recognize that that person might be having um, all kinds of challenges and issues and they somehow made it through our doors so you take somebody that's experiencing homelessness they don't have transportation um, you know and and they're sick um, you know, with, with some physical ailments, and maybe they're even struggling with substance use or some kind of behavioral health issue. When you take all of those things, it's remarkable that somebody ever even makes it in through the door to come to an appointment. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it's, we wanna celebrate any positive step, any positive change that an individual makes, and we let them know that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, hey, great, you're here today. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what can we do next? Um, I think the other piece is when somebody comes in for a medical appointment, we have a very integrated model. So when somebody comes in, they're not just going to see the provider. Um, We'll we'll do screenings and um, look at those screenings, see what they tell us. Um, We can get people uh, behavioral health, walk right into the exam room during their appointment to be able to check in with somebody and say, you know, hey, how how are you feeling today? Um, somebody screens high for substance use. Um, we might, you know, send send a substance use person in there to have a conversation with them about their substance use, mm-hmm. um, and see what steps that they want to take next towards that if if they're ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll have that support right here in the same at the same time. And
0: um, and we see it. We just see it work. We see it work. Mm-hmm. Wow. I I love that you you talking about. This big vision, and well, we we start with be kind, like we start (laughs) with that. And I think the reason I love that so much is because there there are a lot of issues in the world. There are a lot of there's a lot of darkness in the world that I can get really overwhelmed by, Mm -hmm. and I can feel like. I don't know what's required of me in this situation. I, I don't know what love requires me in this situation. I don't know what wisdom does. And yet there I can't think of many scenarios in life where I don't know what kindness looks like. Yeah. Where if my first thought is, okay, I may not um, I may not have the expertise of a doctor mm-hmm. or of a substance abuse mm-hmm. counselor to go mm-hmm. with this, but I know what kindness mm-hmm. looks like. I know how to be kind to a person. Mm-hmm. That's something that we can all do. Mm-hmm. So I love that you start there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we love it too, and um, and we you know we, we do it not just with our patients, but we do it with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, our staff, um, and recognizing that you know the individuals that uh, work here also have lives, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, we all have our own lives outside of our work environment or outside of you know even our home environment, mm-hmm. and um, those come with stressors also. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you're on the other side of the table or because you're a provider doesn't mean that you might not be you know going through a really difficult. relationship relationship issue mm-hmm. um, or maybe a divorce um, or struggling with the substance use of, you know, a family member yeah. um, or dealing with, uh, you know, uh, your your elderly parents that are struggling and, and um, maybe, you know, preparing to pass away. So all of those things, you know, um, we recognize uh, happen with, within our staff family also. Mm-hmm. And so it's so important, <laughs> just no matter what, we, you know, be kind. And it's simple. You can just, it's a little mantra, be kind, be yep. kind. That's all you got to do. And when you be kind, uh, I tell you what, it changes the way
0: people present and the way people um, interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that is so awesome. And Sharon, I was reading a little bit of just the history of hopes and and your history through your biography. And it's talking about how this really started as a small HIV service organization serving about 600 patients to a now growing community health center that serves over 10,000 men, women and children here in northern Nevada. So I would love if you could talk a little bit about that transition. That's that's a big transition. Yeah, <laughs> that's I a big know. jump in, in, in services and um, people that you're serving. Can you kind of talk about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. It is a big jump. And I think sometimes we all sit and, you know, some of us that have been here for the past eight years or however long we've been working for this and doing this expansion, we scratch our head and look around and say, wow, you know, mm-hmm. um, this is this is remarkable, this, this change and this growth. So we were, we were a small organization. We were really the only comprehensive HIV service provider in the entire community. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's so unique about HIV service delivery historically has been that it included so many of these wraparound services, what we call like case management and transportation. Um, And it did, does that service delivery model did look at people in a much more holistic model than than other areas of medical care. Mm -hmm. And so, um, what was nice uh, about the transition is that we already had that 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 vision of um, treating an individual very holistically. Mm-hmm. And so um, we knew when we were looking at um, the changes coming up with the ACA, um, the expansion of Medicaid, our, the, our Republican governor uh, at the time was the first governor to expand Medicaid to individuals um, in, um, in the state and, um, and and so we knew that a lot of our folks that had HIV, it was considered a pre-existing condition mm-hmm. and they were no they were not able to get any kind of coverage. Mm-hmm. So um, you know HIV is a very expensive disease to treat. the medications are extremely expensive. Um, and so, you know, we were taking care of folks really based on a lot of grants and support um, because the individuals couldn't pay. Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing that, you know, Medicaid was expanding and individuals would now be able to get coverage, we were thinking, how is that going to shift and change our grant funding? Um, is that going to go away because we'll have people that, you know, can um, we'll have coverage? Um, we really didn't know, but we knew that we needed to do something to ensure that we were going to remain stable and keep our doors open so we started looking around and um, and came to find that we had were an incredible which we all know an incredible um, provider shortage area and um, we just you know you're supposed to have about one provider for every 700 individuals and in our area we have about one for every 4,000 individuals and so um, we thought hey expanding into primary care um, outside of HIV keeping our HIV also but expanding it um, could really help the community, mm-hmm. and um, and we made the commitment that we wanted to expand it but with this model of holistic care. Mm-hmm. And so as we expanded into primary care, really keeping that vision of treating the whole person um, and ensuring that we expanded our other support services like case management and the behavioral health services and transportation, all of those things, along with the growth of our patient population. Mm-hmm. So we went from about uh, 600, uh, 600 patients to um, now we're over 10,000. And we went from about
0: 20 staff to now we have about 200 staff. Oh yeah! Oh my goodness! And I, I love that all that is under your is under your belt, and you started this by saying, "I'm the luckiest CEO." Like <laughs> I, that a, is that that is that is so awesome that you have all that and would still say, "Man, I am so lucky! I get to do this. I love I love doing this." Yeah.
1: Well, it's 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 such a. Um it's such a blessing to be able to walk in the door every day and see clients um, that you know we've we've been working with for years and um, that have been you know coming to access all different kinds of services mm-hmm. um, and finding their sense of community coming to you know our art classes or coming to um, we have the notables come and um, and they do a um, like a band you know uh, music type um, therapy group and. Mm-hmm. Um, Just however it is that people get connected and seeing these individuals um, that, you know, oftentimes, like all of us, cycle, right? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, you know, people are doing really well. And other times maybe they, you know, go back to drinking or maybe they lose their housing and they end up back on the street. But the one thing that stays constant, um, which is so beautiful to see, is that they keep showing up Mm -hmm. here. And um, they know they're not going to be judged. They know they're not going to be uh, preached Preached to, quote unquote, um, or told what to do, um, they're going to be uh, welcomed and treated with kindness and and respect, and um, they're going to know that hey, we're we're um, we know that you're the expert in your in your life. Yeah, um, and um, and that's just so that's that's remarkable. Being able to walk in and see clients and being able to give them big hugs oh, and know their um, name, right? Yeah. It just it just feels
0: great. You can't you can't have a better job than that. Oh, that's so that's so cool. Because I'm thinking as you're talking about that, just just kind of my eyes getting open to things that I wasn't aware of before. And when I think about going to a doctor or when I go to think about going to um, a behavioral healthcare provider or a dentist or, or whatever that is, I'm thinking of it in terms of, okay, I have a problem I need to treat. I'm not mm-hmm. thinking of it in terms of like, oh, this is where I have community. This is where someone's going to give me a hug. This mm-hmm. is where somebody's going to celebrate a victory that I'm having in my life. And yet, there is a population that that is what they are coming for, that they, I I love when you said that about looking for reasons to, to celebrate something with, mm-hmm. with the person that, Hey, if there's been a little progress made here, or if they've made the first step to make an appointment that was hard for them to make, or yeah. if they've been honest with you about something, celebrating that with them, there might not be anybody else in their life that's celebrating that with them, no. but yeah. you can look at them and care. Yeah. Yeah. That is so cool. And
1: they, and they feel that, you know, um, and, and that's where you see the change. We had a, we had an individual um, that came to us and uh, she was a diabetic. And, um, and had been in and out of the hospital over and over because her diabetes wasn't under control. And so every time she was released from the hospital, she was stable and she would be given, you know, a packet of discharge papers like we all are and, um, you know, a list of prescriptions to get and, um, you know, follow up with your doctor so on. But she didn't have a doctor mm. um, and she didn't have any coverage um, or insurance. So she didn't know how to get her prescriptions, et cetera. And so she wouldn't be able to and then she'd end up back in the hospital it was just this vicious cycle. One time she was walking by, she was released from the hospital, and she was walking by and, and she saw hopes. And she came in and said, I don't know what to do. I have these papers. She had just been released again. Um, and we were able to get her in and um, get her onto Medicaid and help her get her prescriptions downstairs in our pharmacy. Um, but the more important thing was, you know, we had our, our case manager be able to start talking to her, and she was in a domestic violence situation, mm-hmm. uh, really struggling, um, did not know how to um, get out of that or if she even wanted to, but we kept having her come back. Mm-hmm. And she did, and she decided at some point that she was ready, and she wanted to get out of the relationship, so we got her into one of her beautiful domestic violence shelters here mm-hmm. um, where she was very successful. She got her job. Her diabetes was under control. She mm-hmm. Quit smoking, um, all of these, all of these um, wonderful, wonderful outcomes um, that happened. But then it was about six months later, and she came in, and the provider could just tell that she seemed a little down, and um, and so she called the behavioral health person to come in to the appointment. Um, and they talked to her and found out that she had gone back um, to this to this gentleman um, in the abusive relationship and that happens it happens mm-hmm. a lot right mm-hmm. um, and and so she wasn't met with any judgment whatsoever but again just talking to her and um, and having her keep coming back and she ended up leaving the relationship again and now it's been two years and she's employed and outside of that relationship in stable housing and uh, diabetes He's under control and doing well and flourishing and happy mm-hmm. and um, you know those those are the kinds of stories yeah. that we see here just every mm-hmm. single day and you wonder what would happen you know mm-hmm. what would happen if if she wasn't if she if she hadn't come here you know if she mm-hmm. hadn't found if she hadn't found hopes and mm-hmm. um, so we feel grateful that that she walked by that day
0: yes absolutely mm-hmm. and that is I, I think continuing on with that question of just what would happen. And then flipping that on the other side, too, of what could happen if we looked at healthcare in this way. What could yeah. happen if a woman came in and instead of just thinking, okay, well, here's how we help her get insulin under control. Yep. Or here, here's how we get this. What if, wow, d- to dig a little deeper to know, oh, this is a domestic violence situation. Yeah. Oh, this is somebody yeah. that's not not sure what to do with their discharge papers or not sure how to get a job right now. This is, this is a lot different than, okay, let me teach you what to eat and not to keep your sugar in control. That's a component of it. Yeah. But I, I love your heart for that of seeing, oh, is there, is there something else under the surface here? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know, what we see is that, and and I think we can say this about the, the medical industry, you know, is that what we see is that it, 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 the other way doesn't work as well, mm-hmm. and you know the system's even changing, the way um, payment is being made to uh, providers and things to kind of address this idea that you can't just treat somebody's diabetes. If we had come in and given her a brochure about what to eat, and not eat, and then had her fill her prescriptions, I don't know how successful she would have been because of all those other components. And so the medical industry as a whole, I think, is starting to recognize that we've got to address um, health in a holistic fashion, mm-hmm. and they're switching to value-based payment systems where um, you can spend the time, um, and you're and, and you're reimbursed on the outcomes um, of health. But if if you need to spend money to buy somebody an air conditioner um, because their child has asthma mm-hmm. and the windows and you know whatever it is, you know you need to get mold out of somebody's apartment, you can do that because that helps with their health, mm-hmm. and um, that's. I think that shift in the system is really going to change the way that all
0: all places operate. Mm-hmm. And was that something, Sharon, that you always kind of had a mind had a mind for? Was that something that was always a, a passion of yours to see that come in, or has that come in over time?
1: Yeah, no, um, I think because my background was in HIV, mm-hmm. and they had this this much more holistic approach, and primarily because HIV really impacted. Um, Uh, disenfranchised Mm -hmm. groups and Mm -hmm. folks that didn't have a lot of access, Mm -hmm. um, to, um, to, to care and continues to do that. And so, um, I think I was just fortunate to kind of see that model and Mm -hmm. know that, that those components were extremely important. Mm Um, so, so moving forward and being able to expand to primary care just made, it made sense Mm -hmm. because it's not about a diagnosis. It's about, it's
0: about health. It's about whole whole person health. Mm-hmm. And what would be what would be some things you would say? I'm just imagining if you had other CEOs coming to you or other healthcare professionals saying, "Hey, we want to start going in this direction." What would be some of the first things you would say about? Well, you've got to start here, or you have to make this top importance.
1: Yeah. Um, I think, uh, well, two things. One is, is staff, staff training and development mm-hmm. is so important and key for people to recognize that it's more than just the physical health. That's okay. so important for your staff to, to know that from, from the ground up. Everybody needs to buy into that, um, it buy into that philosophy. Um, and then the second thing is uh, it's costly. <laughs> it's costly. Um, a lot of the services that we provide are non-billable. So um, our case management services, um, you know, our transportation services and things, um, those are, those are not available. So we rely a lot on foundations and grants and um,
0: federal funding um, to help support those services. Wow. So being, just being honest, and I really appreciate that honesty up the upfront. Because I think most of the best ways to go in life we find are costly. Yes. There's a reason we're not doing it or we'd all be doing it. Right. That there, this is the best way to go. We've seen that. It's been tested. It's been proven. It will also have a cost involved.
1: Yeah, it does. And, um, you know, there's there's a lot of places out there that get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of community members and um, and other places that understand that. I mean, you're your uh, church is, is a phenomenal example of that, understanding what the key component of just housing and the impact that mm-hmm. that has on health. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started talking about housing and uh, what role we could play in that and, you know, in the continuum of housing uh, you know, a lot of people would ask me, you know, you guys are a healthcare organization, what do you want to do housing for? And it's that, you know, hey, um, it's much easier for us to um, help an individual control their hypertension if they have a roof over their head um, than it is if they're living under the bridge on 4th Street.
0: Wow. It, it's kind of that idea. I was hearing a, a teacher talk recently about just food insecurity and in some of the yeah. students and saying, how am I supposed to get. A child to care about the Pythagorean theorem if they're not sure what they're going to eat tonight. Like yeah. I, there's got to be a change in that mentality of okay, what is my job? Here to do my job is to serve this person, and so what does that look like? And so I love that that's your response. Well, you're a healthcare. What are you yeah. doing? Getting into housing? Well, we've seen that this is a di- this directly affects someone's health, yeah. and that's a great that's a great setup. Um, for I would love if you would talk a little bit about Hope Springs and what yeah. that is and where that kind of came from. Yeah,
1: yeah. So. Um Hope Springs is a project that's in development, and it's going to be 30 individual shelters um, that will house chronically homeless um, individuals that have, uh, which means that you know they've they've been on the street for years, um, years and years, and so a population that we already work with. Um, And they will be able to live there um, for three to six months, kind of bridge housing is is where we look at it on the continuum of housing. So not emergency shelter, um, but more of a a bridge housing where they will receive very intensive case management services, as well as all the medical, behavioral health, all those other components um, to work on um, moving from um, being outdoors to being indoors, and mm-hmm. that's a big transition if you've been on the street for 20 years, mm-hmm. and um, it can be tough. But what we see with people is that uh, people don't want to be out there. Uh, they don't, and sometimes, you know, I feel like we hear that a lot in the communities, that, yeah, well, people just, they want to be out there, right, you know, they're just making that choice. Um, and and what we find is that so many um, of, of the folks that we work with, they don't want to be out there, um, and they've been, they've been um, burned, uh, so to speak, um, by a lot of, uh, a lot of um, places that are set up to help and um, just really struggled. And when you struggle and struggle, know, you think about somebody that's a diabetic and they say, you know, don't eat fast food anymore, don't eat sweets, don't eat, you know, don't drink sodas. Um, and, you know, and they have everything. They've got their house, they've got transportation, mm-hmm. they've got, and you know what, they still roll through McDonald's <laughs> because behavior change and things, it is so hard. And so so there's going to be you know times where where it doesn't work the first time or the second time or the 20th time uh, but you just keep trying so we'll be working with these folks and we've seen these folks that are chronically homeless um, with with really creating that sense of community um, and um, see make just make really rapid um, uh, I don't know if I would call it progress, but uh, rapid growth towards um, moving into um, independent housing, permanent housing. So they'll be with us for about six months. Um, there'll be a large community center and the community center will have uh, you know bathrooms and showers it'll have a communal kitchen um, that will be a full kitchen and so we'll have um, greenhouses and gardens so that uh, we'll be able to do cooking classes etc you know inside um, inside the the community center it'll have um, a nice couch you know community meeting area because we want to encourage folks to come out of the individual shelter areas and go into the community center and really connect with the. Others, a beautiful outdoor area with a fire pit and um, and, a, and a nice grill set up so that we can do grilling and things outside, um, and then a big long. Um, this is my vision. We'll see if it if it trans- if it if it happens. A big long table that can fit 30 people at it um, where, you know, everybody can come together to break bread and, you know, community members can come and um, cook with the clients and then sit down and have a meal uh, because if we can help the community see individuals as people, um, it changes what they want to and how they are willing to help. And so we really want to be able to um, create a space that um, outside community can come in and um, and hang out and um, get to know get to know people for the people that they are instead of the person that they see you know just sitting on the street.
0: Oh my goodness, that is that is amazing. And as I'm sitting here in your beautiful big facility and I'm hearing you talk about this is a vision I have Um, I I don't know if it'll happen but this is what I'm thinking I'm thinking well I think you have a pretty good track record of visions (laughs) coming (laughs) visions coming to fruition and so that is a beautiful one and I'm curious as you're saying that, Sharon, is there any kind of model as far as just the, the bridge housing or what you see with the community center bringing outside community? Is there any kind of models or anything like that in Nevada? Is is this something that hopes is really originating or have you been able to borrow from other resources? Yeah, you know, there's
1: not really in, in the state of Nevada. Um, when we first started looking at this, we went up to... Um, Portland, Oregon, and took a look at some um, communities up there and felt like, wow, we could really use this here. It needs to be unique to to uh, Reno, mm-hmm. and um, and that's kind of that's kind of that's kind of what's nice about a project like this is that you can take the best practices from other com, other agencies um, and and places that have been doing this for a long time. Um, we came back and we got some of the city staff, and we went up to um, up to Seattle and mm-hmm. looked at some of those places um, and communities up there. And um, again, brought back some of of their ideas and incorporating them in there. Uh, This model, uh, a little bit different in every state and every community is different, but um, this model of having um, tiny homes as bridge housing has been very successful, mm. and um, you know the biggest the biggest challenge for us um, will be finding a place for individuals when they're ready to actually be able to move into that will be affordable. Okay, um, because kind of another bridge off of the bridge right. to get that's right. Yeah. That's right, and it's just you know in our community we have a negative negative two percent vacancy rate for truly affordable housing. Um and and so finding finding a place for those folks, that's that's gonna be uh that's gonna be a challenge. But we're ready we're ready to
0: tackle it and see what we can do. Oh, I love that. Well, Sharon, something else I would love for you to talk about. One of the things on the podcast, it's one of my favorite questions that we that we try to ask, is because I know that whenever you work intimately with a population or with with a certain issue, you get to know it in a different way than people on the outside do. When you have names and faces attached to it, you see it much differently from than those of us on the outside do, and we can carry our own misconceptions. And when you brought that up about, you've heard the misconception addressed in the community, oh, well, those who are on the streets, it's because they want to be there. They made that choice, they would rather be there. And you're saying, no, that is not, that is not true. That would be a misconception. Are there any other misconceptions you would address, um, just from the, the work that you've done in Hopes or things you've heard, seen in the community, or as you kind of go into this bridge housing, maybe pushback you've gotten any misconceptions you would want to address?
1: You know, um, I think it's so easy for, for us in society to, uh, and we probably all do it, all of us, um, in some manner uh, to, to put people into different boxes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, I, I think that what, what I like about Hopes and what, what I think the community can, um, can grow with is really understanding um, the difficulties of living in poverty. Mm-hmm. And so um, if you've lived in poverty... Um, then, then you remember, um, and there's all different levels of poverty, but even if you had an apartment but you didn't have transportation, or if you had an apartment you had transportation but you didn't have a garage, um, you know what, uh, you're either standing at the bus station um, waiting for the bus when it's 20 degrees outside, or you're going outside and you're scraping your car. Um, and just the simplest things that shift – when that we take advantage of on just a daily basis when we jump into our car and we can turn on the heat Mm -hmm. Um, we can back out of a garage on a snowy day and we've got our kids in the back that we're running to school and we're running late but we're not going to be that late and they're not going to be that late because we didn't have to scrape our windows you know Um, being able to um, purchase food some of the just the most basic pieces that are challenges when you live in poverty, and then they just compound. So if you're taking the bus, and you have an appointment here at Hopes, and you have to take the bus to it, and even if you have a job, you know, it ends up taking you, depending on where you live, it can take two hours with our bus system to get to Hopes because the buses don't run, you know, as frequently as we probably need to. And we need to invest in better transportation and better b- bus routes and all these different um, components just to, to make that easy, but that's hard. And so if you have a job and, you know, even if you're making minimum wage, which doesn't come anywhere near what you actually need um, to to afford um, an apartment here, the, the dollars, 18, $18, at least $18, uh... an hour to be able to afford an apartment and that's probably actually uh... gone up lately because we just continue to see this increase in, in rents it's just um, it's just terrible but when you're living on a fixed income any little bump um, can hit you. You know, mm-hmm. you get you get bald tires. You get a flat tire. Um, you can't fix your car. Um, you get sick and you need a copay, and um, and you can't you can't afford it. And then mm-hmm. you end up in collections. And then once you're in collections, you can't rent a place because your credit's bad. Mm-hmm. And it just starts cycling more and more and more. And people have stories, and the stories are. Those stories. These are wonderful people, yeah. um, and they're people that that um, want to work or are working, and um, and um, and and have dreams and big dreams, and and you know people that um, you know we had we had a we had a client who um, you know had been on the street for for years, and uh, we were actually told the, the police you know police we work very closely with the police and things, and we do outreach and. Um, And they said, you know, you'll never he'll never come inside. He's been out here. We've tried everything. He's he's service resistant is what is what the term is. I hate that term. But that's what that's what we use. Um, So he's service resistant. And you know what, Um, you know, it took took about six months of just meeting him where he was, not telling him that he needed to do anything, Mm -hmm. just literally checking on him and letting him know that somebody cares. Um, and that, that we're here for him, and that there's no judgment, and just asking, how are you? Um, and, and he did. He, he came inside, um, and, and he's successfully housed now. And uh, he had his uh, master's in philosophy, and he had traveled throughout Europe. And you just, sometimes I think that that's what, that's the biggest piece that we're missing is that let's just stop and look at this person who is somebody's daughter Mm -hmm. or son or brother or sister or um you know father or mother and and realize that they're uh, a person they're a person and they have a story Mm -hmm. and that story has value and um and we should do everything we can i feel like that's that should be the one mission for everybody in life is to help your fellow, help
0: your fellow right. man. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Man. Just the, the power of starting with compassion and getting yeah. to know somebody. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Sharon. I wrote, that was a just, man, I feel like that gives me things to think about for the rest of the day yeah. <laughs> and on, on into my time here in Reno and Sharon, I would love is as we are wrapping up here I think there's so many things you said that I'm imagining if somebody's listening that their heart is going out towards. Um, If somebody is wanting to partner with you all here at Northern Nevada Hopes with what you're doing, what are ways that we can partner with you?
1: Yeah, Um, you all are so generous and wonderful. Um, And, uh, you know, I I think the tiny home project, we don't have that um, groundbreaking date yet, uh, but we're hoping to have it here. in the next month we'll have the date set. And Um, I think there'll be a lot of opportunities to um, physically volunteer, um, everything from um, helping us build the decks on the front of the individual shelters to um, planting and um, creating the groundwork. So there'll be a lot of that um, to to work on in the spring Mm -hmm. and summer. And, um and we'll need all all hands on deck so to okay. speak <laughs> for yeah. something like that um, other other opportunities uh you know we always need um, toiletries uh, for when we're doing Outreach so mm-hmm. the little shampoos and the little right the little mm-hmm. soaps that you get little toothbrushes um, waters those kinds of things are super helpful socks mm-hmm. um, um, you know I, I think it's I think it's so discouraging that we have to um that we have to uh, you know, get socks and you know ask for you know uh, little beanies and that kind of stuff uh, because we should have our ha- should have our folks housed. Nobody mm. should be outside in the weather tonight. Um, but unfortunately we do and we Mm -hmm. need that stuff because Mm -hmm. there's still there's still folks out there Mm so those are those are wonderful ways and then people can always always contribute um, you know to either the tiny home project um, which you all have done um, so generously um, and or uh, just to hopes in general to help us with all those non-billable services that Mm -hmm. really is what um, changes
0: changes people's lives great thank you for bringing those up especially as we're going into winter just to be to be mindful of our community and our friends who are on the streets that you all are servicing and helping. And so if somebody wanted to donate socks, beanies, water, any of those things, do they just do that directly here to your location? They can, okay. yes,
1: yeah. That would be uh, wonderful. They could bring it directly here. Um, they can go to um, uh, they can uh, everybody's email is on the website okay uh, so they can they can go to the web they can email me. Um, okay. It's it my email is schamberlain at nnhopes.org. Uh, okay. we can
0: come pick up stuff, okay. um, or they can, um, come drop it off. Excellent. And then when it comes to, you were talking about the all hands on deckness of getting <laughs> Hope Springs together, is there kind of a running volunteer list that y'all are keeping for whenever that's going to happen? Or is the best thing to just be checking on the website for when, for when those opportunities will be there? Uh,
1: the best is to check on the website okay. and, um, that will we'll make sure that we don't miss anybody and we'll have calls, calls to action okay. that we'll send out and, um, we do have Have little um, updates that are going out about Hope Springs, a little newsletter. Um, And I think we drop some off um, at at your church and things. And so uh, we'll always have them in there also.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much again, Sharon. And the website that she's referring to here for Hopes is NN, as in Northern Nevada, hopes, H O P E S dot. That's where you can find out a lot of the information that Sharon just shared, as well as how to volunteer and get involved with that. Another thing I'm going to encourage is that Hopes does a quarterly tour for the community. If you want to learn more and be on the ground and see it, which I highly, highly encourage that you do. The next one is going to be Thursday, November 7th, from 830 a.m. to 10 a.m. But if you miss that one, again, that that is a quarterly. There'll be another one coming around the bend, and you can find out more about that on the website as well. Well, Sharon, thank you so much again for taking, taking this time to talk with us, reminding us to be kind, reminding us of the power of compassion and reminding us to look at to look at whole people um, just here in our community. We're really, really grateful that you would do this today.
1: Thank you. Thank you.